This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Let's get to our midweek roundtable. That's Catherine Swift and Arthur Potts. Swifty and Pottsy. Catherine, former head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Arthur Potts, you knew him as a Liberal MPP for Beaches East York with the Wynn government. Folks, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing well, thanks. Excellent out here. Yep, doing quite well. <laughs> out <Are> here? We, <laughs> you, are, you, are you social distancing? Well, absolutely. I, I end up getting lost in the woods today, an hour and a half walk with my daughter. There wasn't a soul to be seen or a pathway to get back to our place, but we finally made it. Geez, you know, I don't even know if that's uh, permissible here, going through the woods, because these draconian measures that are now being enforced by bylaw enforcement officers, uh, some people are complaining that they're too strict and maybe all we need are guidelines like, uh, hey, folks, don't do that. Move along. Move along here. It's like the anti-loitering police. Uh or what do you think? Uh, let me ask you, Arthur. Do you think that zero tolerance is necessary in a real crackdown? Because there's a hue and a cry going up by people who have been ticketed. Well, there is a zero tolerance is important, but it has to be done intelligently. It's, it was so crazy. We saw in Oakville, father and his two kids on rollerblades. They all live under the same house. They're, they don't need to social distance in the same way that total strangers need to social distance. So it needs to be interpreted intelligently, and bylaw officers have to understand that. But when you have you know, hundreds of people all congregating on a bonfire down at the beach in, in, in my neighborhood, yeah, you know, like, people need to be told and find it necessary if they're, if they're not obeying those kinds of uh, distancing rules. Yeah, you know, in Michigan today, they had a protest, people in their cars protesting against the stay-at-home rules. And I guess in the States, you know, uh, you've got lawyers lined up seven deep who want to fight things on a constitutional basis or whatever. Do you think there's any merit to that here with our own rights and freedoms being suspended for the moment? Or does the health crisis sort of uh, subsume all of that, Swifty? I think there has to be it has to be reasonable. Um, people are starting. I think we're far enough into this now that people are starting. It was kind of you know sort of amusing for a little while there to oh hey we have to stay at home and you know drink in the middle of the afternoon and watch Netflix or whatever. But now it's getting people are getting a little testy. So I think the next the next few weeks are going to be interesting because I, I frankly don't really believe unless they're really egregious instances I don't really believe in fining people and there will always be scoff laws for whatever law we do not have enough police or other you know other means of enforcing every single person so you know you have to be reasonable about it and i think by and large they have been to date but there are the examples arthur mentioned you know some and and the, these 800 odd dollar fines i've heard about and stuff to me that's going too far and it's it's just going to tick people off because we have to we have to really keep people on side here um, to not rebel uh, and and really you know really do some dangerous things because they're so you know they feel they feel they haven't been dealt with fairly. Yeah, when you get that overbearing government or there's that perception, as you say, people might militate against that, you know, in civil disobedience or they're just uh, not going to pay attention to government directives, which is really going to be interesting when we get out of this. And the mayor was even saying earlier the hour we played the clip, you know, five weeks in, people are going antsy and he's talking about working on a restart. Got to ask you about that, Potsy. I mean, uh, I know we've discussed that uh, on previous occasions, but uh, by what criteria... And with whom could you see how, when a restart starting to unfold? How would you go about it? Well, you know, you've got to start with the kinds of professions and activities which are can be outside socially isolated. Uh, you know, 
people doing uh, landscape, gardening, when you're working independently, uh, garages, you can have sufficient distance to get people fixing their cars. And I think cars, garage is still essential. Uh, I saw BC, for instance, opened up golf courses. I mean, that's a pretty interesting activity of social distancing. Uh, it, you know, stay out of the cart two on two, of course but people can socially distance on a golf course. So you have to start getting smart about doing things and allowing some business to open up where interaction is not uh, essential. And also those, those, some of those businesses you mentioned are very consistent with what people are starting to think about this time of year. So it also speaks to um, people getting antsy uh, and, and wanting to do something different. Well, if they can garden, if they can golf, you know, if they can do these things properly with the, you know, again, observing the social distancing business, then presumably, you know, they're going to be more on side with keeping, you know, sort of keeping the sensible rules in place. I think, though, that, you know, there's... There's the other issue, too, of less vulnerable populations. This has been talked about in a number of countries. Do uh, younger people, for example, um, you know, do they, are they permitted to do different things than maybe older, more vulnerable people? You know, they, these are questions. I don't think there's really any sort of black and white answers right now, but these are the kind of things that have been bandied about. Yeah, but you're right about that. You know, scientifically, if you want, uh, we can look at it and maybe segregate certain parts of the population as a temporary measure, certainly, uh, especially the vulnerable. And then when, you know, uh, Potsy mentions golf courses opening, okay, yeah, you've got social distancing there. Uh, but I know some courses, what they're doing stateside anyway, you can't take the flag out because you touch it, uh, even with a gloved hand. You're not reaching down to pick out your ball out of the cup because the cup is above the green surface. Uh, only one in a cart if you're using one. So if you put in these things that, yeah, maybe seem foreign because uh, we're used as a rule to, you know, not have any of that in place, uh, those are the ways we're going to go about it incrementally until we actually test everybody and know what uh, individual statuses are. And For example, when you were saying a mechanic is pretty much a solitary thing, in Quebec, as much as they've, uh, you know, borne the brunt of this, I guess, in the country, they've allowed mechanics to go back to work today. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a reasonable response, particularly if you're able to check people's vitals. You know, temperature seeking is a big part of it. People start showing any kinds of signs. You need to identify them, get them socially isolated till, till you confirm it. You know, mass, more mass testing is obviously part of that. Um, I'm working with a group on an app which will do distance tracking of people on their cell phones, which will allow data points which say, you had an interaction with someone a week ago, they've now tested positive, you need to take the following actions. And those are the kinds of technologies I think we're starting to work with. Google and Apple have come up with a similar concept. Those will be really important to the go forward, the new normal, we'll call it. And some some of the other, some of the professions you mentioned, the auto repair is a classic example. People still need vehicles to work, so you get to the point that if you you know if, if people can't fix or, or maintain or whatever various things that that still need to be operating, granted maybe on not at the same scale as they normally would, then you're going to have other problems created with broken down you know vehicles and so on. Or well, Swifty, I still got my winter tires on. Well, so do I. <laughs> well, we're actually anticipating some snow uh, later this afternoon. It's still pretty cold, so uh, don't be too hasty in switching <laughs> over enough. there. 
please. You know, when, when we talked about, uh, you know, the people who may be susceptible to this, obviously first come, coming to mind are the long-term care facilities. Uh, and we talked about it in the first hour. Uh, Jerry Diaz, who represents on some of the workers, unionized workers in these facilities, saying it's deplorable. He's warned the governments, previous governments, as well as this one, uh, about, you know, understaffing, uh, part-timers who, you know, they're not being paid adequately, so uh, the care is less than exemplary. Swifty, let me ask you, I mean, uh, the government, uh, do they need to increase the regulations or stiffen up the regulations so they increase wages? Uh, You know, there are fewer part-timers, so it's a more attractive job, and they can, job retention uh, doesn't become as much of an, do you think that's something that has been crystallized by this dilemma now? Well, I, I do think that there, yes, there's definitely a focus. I mean, we have in Ontario here more than half of the deaths have been in retirement, uh, you know, homes, and they are. The, it's it's awful because people in those places, in the case of any flu bug, um, you know, I've had elderly relatives over the years in them, and you know, you'll get a notice saying, okay, we've detected a case of pneumonia, therefore we're shutting down the joint for the next, you know, two weeks or whatever it happens to be. So these, you know, these things have always been out there. This particular virus seems very pernicious, highly contagious, uh, and of course, very, very threatening to to the elderly. So, um, but I, that being said, I do think yes, it's a time to re re-examine all of these things. There are a lot of rules in place. Some of it comes down to enforcement, not simply you know some kind of wholesale changing of the rules. Um, but there's a lot of things that need to be done here. I'm sure Diaz naturally would like to see way more money going into his union coffers, so you know nothing new there. And what I've seen, which I've found quite interesting, is some of these places where staff have had major walkouts. Um, you know, those. What do you do in those kinds of situations? Uh, that that's well, that was a case. For the incredible risks that they're taking on. I mean, that's that's exactly the point. The working conditions under this pandemic have changed significantly, and people should be compensated appropriately to them. Uh, so we do need a response here. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I like the fact that Doug Ford has come forward. He's being very aggressive and looking at ways of supporting these workers. But let's not forget that it's the same government that a year ago took two, almost a billion dollars out of public health and the city of Toronto had to fight to get some of it back and completely reduce the number of inspections of long-term care. So, yeah, we've got to go back to annual inspections, and we have to find a way to compensate people for the very dangerous work they're doing. And it's not just long-term care workers. It's even frontline workers in grocery stores and other, other you know, precarious jobs. That people All right, are... but the idea that there would be government regulations that mandate, say, a, a wage, a working wage within these homes uh, and staffing requirements at minimum, uh, would you favor that, Ponzi? Well, I would. I mean, what, we did it a little differently. You know, when we came in in 14, we immediately increased the rates of pay for all uh, personal support workers in the province. That was a budget commitment that I think it was 2 and a half or $3 uh, over and above the minimum wage for people who are doing PSW work because it is such an important job. These people are looking after our loved ones in care, and uh, we, we, we did that. And, and private operators had to comply. 
So, yeah, well, I, think- I think that's, you know, and again, that's well and good, but let's not forget, too, that that means it's going to be a higher cost to have someone in one of these institutions, which, you know, families are often struggling in general to pay even existing rates. And I'm not disagreeing with you here, but I'm just saying that everything has its consequences. And naturally, when you increase compensation and whatnot, which may be eminently justified, you're also going to increase the cost of being in these institutions, which will have, again, you know, other effects. So I think, again, you, you just have to keep things in balance here. And there's no doubt, uh, there's no doubt that people in these, uh, in these facilities work hard. And, uh, you know, but I, I guess the other thing is, too, uh, let's hope this isn't uh, a new normal or a new abnormal, having horrible viruses like this. And obviously, you're not going to make changes to conform to a COVID-19 type of scenario that we may never see again. Which, well, as a temporary know, measure, you had the Prime did. Minister, hang on, the Prime Minister was talking about subsidies and uh, topping up their wages, and he's going to discuss that with the premiers tomorrow night. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.